0: I'll go ahead and be seated and let me add a, a good morning. Welcome as well. My name is Tim and I serve as one of the pastors here. We're glad um, to have you with us and glad uh, especially to have you kids in, in here with us. And I know I'm, I'm a poor excuse of a trade for whatever your teacher, whoever your teacher is normally. I'm sure you like them much more than me, but, but we're glad you're here and we want you here um, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one being that uh, Jesus, in his own life, there was a moment where um, all the adults were saying, get the kids out of here, we you know, we got to talk about serious things. And Jesus actually stopped the adults in that moment and said, no, if you want to know what it's like to live in my kingdom, you need to look to children. They, they can show you the way of what it's like to live in my kingdom. So we need you here, you're, you're, you help us follow Jesus better. Um, but also the thing we want, we want most for you kids um, in your life is for you to follow Jesus all the way through. And one of the most important things for that to happen is for you to be in here with us as adults, for us to be one church uh, together. So we're glad glad to have you with us. Um, if you didn't grab a Kids Connect, we have them in the back. Uh, grab one. It's a way for you to follow along the sermon. Um, if, if you're an adult and you don't have a Bible, uh, um, you, can turn to, uh, you can grab one in the back. We have them there. Or you can turn to 2 Kings 2. I'll read from that um, in just, uh, just a moment. But that's where we'll be um, this morning as we close our, uh, our series on Elijah versus um, Ahab. And so I'm going to do that now. I'll read 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, And said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Elijah, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other so the two of them could go over on dry grounds. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirits on me. And Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Elijah said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see, see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked behold chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, "My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen." And he saw him no more. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we we slow down our speech now to listen to your words. And God, if there's anything that I plan to say that doesn't better reveal you, help me forget it. Because what we need in this moment is is for you to reveal yourself to us, for you to make yourself known to us. And so we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. There's a lesson that I've been learning the last few years of my life, or last few months of my life. It's been a hard one um, to learn, but... But it's this, that I am not the one running my life. I'm not the guide of my life. And I've been learning that for for several reasons. One of them is that uh, my son, my oldest son, starts kindergarten in the fall. And I feel his independence growing. And I want to control things. I want to slow things down uh, to control um, everything that my kids experience. But I can't. It's not possible. And so kids, this is why we parents get so weird on you on the first day of school, why we make you wear like a special outfit when we picked out for you and we force you to wear it, why we take like 200 photos of you as you're leaving the house, as you're waiting for the bus, as you walk to school. Why We just get weird on this day, and this is why, because we want to be in control. We want to slow things down to think we're in charge, but we're not. But there's another more significant reason why I've, my own mortality has been something I've been wrestling through, and that is that that just death has entered into my life in a way in the last few months I can't, I can't shut out. So later today, I will, I will speak at the funeral of, of Dana Halstead, who attended this church. And when I was with the, the family last week for the graveyard, graveside service, um, after we were done, Dana's wife, Mary Kay, leaned over to me, looking at the cemetery, and said that Dana had, had buried so many of the people that were in that cemetery. And while that comment might not have meant much to me a couple years ago, for whatever reason, last week, the thought just occurred to me that someday, Misty might lean over and tell a pastor in his young 30s the same thing. And I know that's dark, but that's, that's because we don't like to think about this. And yet I want to say, as, I, as I've dealt with my own mortality, it's actually, it's freed me freed me to understand two things that are at the heart of this passage, the end of the story of Elijah's life. Two things. That one, life is a journey with an end. And two, I'm not the guide. So here today at the end of Elijah's life, it's a weird ending. Uh, chariots of fire, that's a weird thing. Um, for, it's a weird way to go out. It's an awesome way to go out, but it's a very strange way uh, to go out. And, and it's about everything I've been dealing with in dealing with my mortality. The life, My life has an end. And I don't know when that is, and I am not the guide and the one directing this journey. And if you come to see that about your own life, it will be the most freeing thing to see. And don't you want to feel that? Don't you want to feel free? So I want to unpack three ideas in this this story. First, follow your guide wherever he leads. Two, number your days. And three, trust your guide for your end. So let's jump into the story. First, follow your guide wherever he leads. This is an important moment in Elijah's life, and not just because he understands that his own time on earth is coming to an end, but what he's doing in this passage is he's handing off his role as leader of the prophets to his disciple Elisha. And so we get a glimpse in this last moment of what Elijah thinks is important for Elisha to understand before he takes on this role of prophet. So Elijah takes Elisha on a tour of three different places, first to Bethel, then to Jericho, and then to the Jordan River. And each time Elijah tells Elisha, you need to stay behind. And each time Elisha tells Elijah, I'm not staying behind, I'm going to follow you. And each time uh, prophets come out to meet Elisha and say to Elisha, your master, your teacher, is about to die, he's about to leave the earth. And each time Elisha answers in sadness, I know. Be quiet. And so what's happening here? What Elijah is doing is he's recreating the path of salvation for Elisha. This journey they go on from, uh, from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River, it's the same journey that you find a whole nation called Israel taking in a book of the Bible called Exodus. There God was rescuing his people from an oppressor named Egypt who was keeping Israel as, as slaves. And so when God, when God frees Israel out of slavery from Egypt, he takes them on this journey and they go to Bethel. And then to Jericho and then finally they cross the Jordan River. And that journey took 40 years. But it only should have taken a few days. That the path of salvation from Jericho to, or from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River, was a wandering time in the wilderness for 40 years. And that time became central to the identity of God's people for what it meant to be saved, for what it meant to taste God's salvation. And it was central for Elijah. And before Elijah could move on and take his ride out in his flaming chariot, um, he wanted Elisha to walk this experience. And what this experience, I think Elijah is trying to get Elijah to see, is this: is that if God is the guide to your life, salvation for you will come through wilderness, through wandering. And this is something that distinguishes the gospel, the Hebrew scriptures from religion. That religion looks at salvation like this: that if God is your God, if you let God guide you, and you follow Him correctly, He will keep you out of the wilderness. And oftentimes, Christians explicitly teach this, which is completely contrary to the gospel, that our assumption often that we teach is that if you follow God correctly, He will keep you out of the wilderness. He won't let you wander. He'll keep your life the way that you want it. And the reality is we want to say the opposite of what Elijah is doing to Elijah here, that we want to say that when God is your guide, there will be no wilderness. No. If you want this God of the Bible, and He's to save you, you will have to go through the wilderness. It was true for Israel, right? This is the journey they they took. And it was true for Elijah. A few weeks back, we, we read of Elijah hiding in a cave, wanting to die. It was true for Jesus. After his baptism and God the Father spoke over Jesus, my son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then we're told that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to starve and to be tested for 40 days. And now Elijah has recreated this path for Elisha to remind him. And it's worth for us reminding ourselves in this moment to pause and to remind ourselves that if we are Christians, and if God is guiding our life, it will not keep us from the wilderness. And so you follow your guide wherever he leads. Even if he wanders you around the wilderness for 40 years, follow him. He knows the way to salvation. And so what does this mean, practically? How do we live this out? Well, a couple thoughts. Um, one is that you should look to those who are older. The, the, at the center of this passage is Elijah, who's older, more mature. He's seen it. He's been around the block. He understands the ways of God. He's not naive. And age doesn't always mean wisdom. Sometimes older people just had a, a chance to make more bad decisions and become um, less wise. But for the most part, age age adds, adds a wisdom to to life. And so who are you following around that that has gone before you that understands the way of the ways of God who can speak the ways of God to you? They look to those who are older. This is one of the reasons why we do um, women's studies is we're hopeful that cr- there'll be cross-generational ministry that happens there older women gathering with women who are younger, and, and yet the reality is we have room to grow here as a church, because especially as a church planner, one thing I feel is, is, is in our culture, we have demands for age-specific ministry, and that's one of the first questions I often get from people who are Christians who are visiting is, how can I gather with more people my, my age, and yet you read the scriptures and you find this cross-generational relationships are so important. But do you have those? Are you looking to those who are older? That's one thing. The other thing I would say is, is give your guide the burden. That my primary hope, my primary goal or, or thing that you take away, that you just feel in your bones leaving this place this morning, is that you will become convinced that you are not the most important thing to your life. God is. God is more important to your life than you are. And if that's true, imagine parenting like that. Whether, if, if you knew that God is in charge of your journey and your child's journey, that even if you make mistakes and you're unsure of what your next step is or how to love or parent your kid's Best. God has sufficient grace for both you and your kids. He is more important to their life than you are. Or kids, imagine going to school like that this, this week. That It'd be okay if you're not as popular. If you make a mistake on a test, if you don't make the team or you don't win the game, your life is still in good hands. God is the one leading things forward. He's the one guiding you even when you're disappointed. Or imagine going to work like this where your work can be completed not out of a drive to make more or to make a name for yourself or to earn a promotion, but can be done with a sense of God is guiding you to to make you whole, to make you into what he wants you to be. So even disappointment at work is handled within that story of God is in charge, even when it's wilderness, even when it doesn't make sense. That if you begin to understand there's a guide to your life who loves you and is directing your steps and, and directing your path, it is the most freeing realization you can come to. It frees you from the burden. You're responsible, yes. Don't, don't, um, don't give up, but, but God's leading. God's the one in charge. Even in the wilderness, he's leading you towards salvation. So your life is a journey with an end. You're not its guide. So follow your guide wherever he leads. And second, number your days. Now, I think one of the primary reasons we have a hard time letting God have control, giving him the burden of our life, whether we are a Christian and still want to run things our, ourselves, even though like we've acknowledged there's a God and he's, he's over us, or you're not a Christian and you don't sense a need uh, for, for God in your life. Um, is The reason we, we have trouble making God the God of our life, whether you're a Christian or not, is that we, we have forgotten our own mortality. We've forgotten that our journey has an end. And that's not true for all of us. Some of you in your profession, you work closely with Death. Others of you maybe death invaded early in your life or invaded recently in your life, and and so you're experiencing death differently now. But the reality is, in our broader culture, we experience death completely different than most of humans through most of history. For example, life expectancy in the year 1800 was 33. In in, uh, 2000, it was 80. Just in 200 years, that is an enormous change. 200 years ago, 25% of children died in infancy. But the reality is, if this was 200 years ago, most of us would have died already. And imagine what it would have been like to have lived in that culture. How many funerals of children you would have attended? How many funerals of widows in their 20s or early 30s you would have attended? You, should, you would have experienced death completely different. And, and you wouldn't have just known with your head, like I think we do, that our journey has an in. You would have known with your heart, you would have felt it. I'm mortal. I will stop breathing. This will come to an end. And so here in this passage, Elijah has numbered his days. I mean, almost to a weird extent. He, he knows the end of his earthly journey is near. And, and yes, it's a weird ending, right? We can own that. And I don't know why this is what happens. Um, I mean, this is probably the best way to leave the earth in a flaming chariots. Um, this is far better than any special effect on any Avengers movie. I and mean, this is a pretty good way to go out. But what this moment does is reveal... Elijah's awareness of his own mortality. My time is over. I'm crossing the river. Elijah, this is yours. I'm done. And if you're to number your days, a couple thoughts about that, how to work that out. And first, um, embrace, embrace your mortality. There really, recently, I, I played golf with a friend of mine and one of his closest friends. Uh, and the reason my, my friend wanted to, to play with this other guy, he was in his 70s, not a Christian. And it was about nine months ago they were talking about, um, about death and did he believe in God and what would salvation look like? What, what about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? And, and they had a really honest conversation. But the further they pushed, eventually the man just looked at my friend and in te- with tears in his eyes said, um, said to him, I, I can't deal with this right now. I cannot think about this right now. And the conversation ended. But the reality is he's, he's in his 70s, which means he's lived twice as long as most human beings through history. And yet he can't deal with the thought that he's mortal. His breath will stop. And I hear this, this distance or this inability to deal with death from both Christians and non-Christians alike, an inability to deal with our mortality, to ask hard questions, to understand the limits of our existence. And I think one of the reasons we're afraid to do that is because when we think about our mortality, we, what we're doing is we're embracing our own weakness, our own lack of control, right? There's someone else who's guiding our lives, not us. And yet there's a paradox to embracing your mortality. It doesn't make you weaker. Now listen to this short thought from Ephraim Radner in his book, A Time to Keep. The great paradox of creaturehood is that the very limits of our existence to each of us are also that which is our bond to God. But what he's saying is if, if you embrace your mortality, you're embracing the very thing that connects you to God, your dependence on him. And think about it like this. You are, you are breathing right now. Why? How did you start? How do you make sure you keep breathing? Why are you still breathing? You can't, we can't answer any of those questions. We have no idea. And embrace, embrace that. Embrace your mortality. That someone gave you that breath. Thank him. That when you embrace your mortality, you embrace your creatureness. And you actually become open to new possibilities. And that's what we believe as Christians, right? That, that embracing our mortality, our creatureness, we believe in a God who both gave us breath, who we know will one day take that breath from us, but we also know can breathe life into dead Things. We we that's what we believe. That's the central piece to us. We should be able to embrace our mortality. And yet, if you don't believe in God, I would just ask, have you dealt with this question? Why are you still breathing? How did you start? And might someone have given you that first breath? Number your days, embrace your morality, or mortality, one. But two, lead those, lead those who are younger. And one of the important conclusions that Elijah has come to is that the work of God is going to outlast him. And earlier in the story, that was uh, he was distraught because he saw things God wasn't doing, and that was that was frustrating him, and that's why one of the reasons why he wanted um, to die. And yet, and yet now at the end, you see Elijah handing off all of his work to to Elisha. His work is going to go on. He's looking to those who are are younger. And it leaves a question for you: who are who are you empowering? Who are you leading? Who are you giving your work to? Who are you teaching? And in the church, of course, that, that means like, sort of family structures kind of break down here. I mean, yes, it's important for you as parents to teach your children, but that's why we have a broader church. And so those of you who are, are both empty nesters, those of you, those of you who are single, who are, who are married without kids, our kids need your instruction, your teaching, your guidance. My kids need your help and your wisdom and your guidance. Look who they have for a father. It's okay. You can laugh at that. Um, and so whoever you are, don't, don't retire into obscurity. Lead those who are younger. They need your voice. That your life is a journey with an end, and you are not the guide. So you must follow your God, even when he takes you into the wilderness. You must number your days. You must embrace your mortality. And thirdly, finally, you need to trust your God for your journey's end. Which is ultimately, that's the mark of any good guide, right? Is the guide who can take you to where you want to go. Take you to where the journey takes you. Can they lead you all the way to the end? And, and there are two things going on in this passage that speak to that. The first is that Elisha has a strange request for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. We're not even sure, sure exactly what, what this means, but what we, what we can take is certainly that Elijah is, is unsure that Elisha is going give, to be given this listen again to Elijah, Elijah, Elijah's response to Elisha's request. "Said, so you have asked a hard thing? Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And so what, is that, what does that mean? Well, Elisha knows what he is up against. He's, he's seen the danger Elijah's been in his life, the danger we've looked at over the last seven, eight weeks. And he's also seen all the amazing things that Elijah has, has done And yet, the people of Israel have not listened to Elijah. Things are still in very bad shape. Most of God's people don't worship him. There are evil kings still going about the earth, rebelling against God. There is a lot of work to be done. And Elijah knows if he is to take up the work of his predecessor, Elijah, he is taking up an impossible task. And so he doesn't ask for what Elijah has. He asks for twice what Elijah has. He essentially says to God, give me what I need to live the impossible life you've called me into. And I would just ask, have you, have you prayed for that, that kind of spirit-empowered life? That for us, we don't, we don't look to a prophet or a great person and ask for a double portion of their spirit. Jesus said that when he went back to the right hand of the Father, he sends his Holy Spirit to us. Have you asked for a spirit-empowered life? Because I bet the reality is most of us in this room We'll face things in life that we do not have the strength to face for by ourselves. Which is kind of the whole point of the fact that you're not the God of your life. And that's why you need to ask for the Spirit to empower you into that life. And I would even say, if you're sitting there saying, no, I have my life pretty much under, under control. I don't really need that sort of empowerment. Then I would say you're living too small a life. It's too easy for you. You should be empowered by the Spirit to do only what God could do through you. And so ask God to give you what you need, and then ask God to give you more than what you need. The second thing about this passage is that, that Elijah trusts God for all that He didn't get, get done. And as I said a few, a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about Elijah asking God to kill him, because there was so much less left undone, and the world looked like it was falling apart. Well, the reality is, those things still aren't done. Most of Israel has rejected God. The kings should be leading the people. They aren't. Elijah, by our standards, is an earthly failure. And yet, by his standards, he's faithfully walked the path of God, and now he hands his life work off to Elisha, and his mortal's journey has come to an end. Elijah recognized his life was not his to guide. This is someone else. Someone far better than him was telling his story. And his part to play was over. And when even when his part to play didn't be wasn't what he wanted it to be, he still lived it in faithfulness because he trusted and was freed up to live underneath the God who was telling his story. And if you believe that the God is, is telling your story, you can trust your guide from now all the way up until the end. No matter how your earthly story may look, you may look like you may look like you're going to die and everything you work for. Nothing happens like Elijah. But let me tell you the reality is you have no idea how God is actually using you right now. You think you do. The reality is you have no clue. If you knew the sovereign plan of God, um, then the sovereign plan of God would be a major letdown because none of us should be able to understand what God is doing in us and through our world. We don't know what he's doing. And that leaves the question, okay, well then how can we have confidence that his plan will work a good ending, especially when I don't see a good ending right now? And the reason you and I can know that God will lead us to a good ending is because his son got a bad ending. His son, at the end of his life, Jesus, was surrounded by his enemies. He was cursed, he was spit on, he was publicly shamed. It was, the, it was literally the worst way possible a human being has ever died. Publicly naked in a, in, a, in a place, shamed, emotionally, physically scarring. That's how Jesus died. And yet, three days later, resurrection. And all of that, the Bible says, was for you and for me. That Jesus was given a hopeless ending on a cross so that whatever you and I face in life, we can know that God turns crosses into resurrection, God turns wilderness into salvation. And he would not send his only son to suffer for you, only to abandon you. So trust him. All the way to the end. The Later today, as I said earlier, we will honor the life of Dana Halstead, brother in Christ, the congregant of this campus who died a week and a half ago. And many of you may not know him. Um, you may have seen him walking around. He, has, he had Alzheimer's toward the end of his life. But I want you to know, we would not exist as a church, um, both maybe, maybe Olathe or Shawnee, without Dana Halstead. But Dana was a pastor. He helped plant five churches here in the Kansas City area. In the early 90s, he planted a church that started meeting at a school in Lenexa and then eventually bought property in Olathe. And he built a building there, Heritage Bible Church. When I say he built the church um, or built the building, I mean like literally. He, he built the building almost by himself. Drew up the architect plans, figured it out, built that building with his hands. And and as he neared retirement, he wondered who he should hand the leadership of what he had built off to. So he reached out to another church and asked if that church would be interested in having the church he built, to have the fruit of his labor. And he gave it away, and we at Christ Community said yes, and that became our Olathe campus. I'm not sure that, as I said a second ago, we, we would have ever gotten into church planning without Dana's first step. And now, 10 years later, after his first step, uh, our Olathe campus has grown so large we were expanding there. Seven years after that moment, the Olathe campus planted us, Shawnee Mission Campus, and Dana and Mary Kay came, back, came with us. They gave up the building they had built and went back to meet in a school in Lenexa. And we, the over 1,000 people that gather to worship in those two places each Sunday, gather because of a man who, full of the Holy Spirit, faithfully followed his guide wherever he led. And I can almost promise you, Dana had no idea what, this, what would happen. And sadly, because of Alzheimer's, I don't know that he ever, until the moment of his death, understood all that had happened from his faithful first step. And yet that's the point. He wasn't the guide of his life. And for you and me, we should not try to run our life, to guide our life. Trust your guide and watch God do what only he can do. He will guide you into wilderness, but that's okay. He knows the way out. He will guide you to your end and into a tomb, but that's okay. He knows the way to resurrection. Let's pray. God, we pause now to ask for your spirit to empower us to live into a life that we could not live without you. Help us to see in our breath a gift, a gift from a creator who made us, who marked our beginning and has marked our end. And may we faithfully walk each step between. Help us to live a life we could only live through the power of your son, Jesus, and fill us with your spirit, to take each step following you, our guide, as faithfully as we can. We pray, we plead, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.